I think Texas this year, when you look at the roster, I mean, just look at the roster. Go one through 85 of their scholarship players. Tell me a roster in the Big 12 you would rather have. Hello and welcome in to Always College Football. It's a Wednesday edition on the eve of the Masters. Hope everybody's excited about that event coming up in Augusta, Georgia tomorrow. But we have college football to discuss today. We're going to have some therapy sessions. There's some fan bases that are twisting in the wind. Some whose toes are at the edge of the cliff. They're very, very concerned about what's going to come this upcoming season as it relates to their team. And there's some that are probably a little bit out in front of their skis, thinking they're going to make the playoff. We might have to talk them back just a little bit to keep things in perspective. We have a good solid list of teams that we're going to get to today, five of which that were either in the mix for their conference title last year or won their conference title last year or went to New Year's Six Bowl games or we're on the cusp of getting New Year's Six Bowl games. So we have a bunch of teams that we want to get to. We're going to do that therapy session. Let's either talk you off the ledge or build you up. We'll see which direction we're heading with some of these teams. So let's stop wasting any time. Let's talk about it. Time to have some therapy sessions, okay? Some fans right now are either on the cliff, the edge of the cliff, really frustrated with what they've seen from their program in recent years, thinking that things are going to get better or things are going to get really bad. Other fans have aspirations of winning a national championship this upcoming year, but maybe they should slow their roll just a little bit. I feel like, look, I, I want you to be excited. I'm excited about your team most of the time. I feel like y'all that have been around me or, or listened to my shows or been on been with us here at Always College Football, like we're going to find the silver lining. I mean, it, it might not always be perfect, but the sky is not always falling, I might add. We're going to find the silver lining. We're going to try to figure out a way to spin in a positive way. Not a and We're not going to throw you propaganda. We're going to tell you how it is. I mean, you know that. I mean, with us, like we're going to say how we we're going to say how it goes. Like we're not trying to blow smoke. That's just not what we do. I'm going to tell you what I think. And if you disagree, it's all good. We're fine. I've been wrong plenty of times and will likely be wrong plenty of times again in the future. I think it's a strong bet. If you're going to bet on me being wrong, you're probably in a pretty good spot. But also at the same time, man, let's just keep things in perspective. So let's have some therapy sessions. We're going to pick out a few programs today. Future episodes, we'll do more programs down the road. But let's just not get too carried away. Coops, you kick it off with a team that's coming off of a really, really good season. That's right. I'm a Penn State fan today, right here, right now. We're coming off of a Rose Bowl. I remember national championships in 82 and 86, undefeated seasons in 94, a great season in 05. But I also remember how the Joe Paterno era ended and didn't think we'd ever be back. And then O'Brien comes in and we get back and James Franklin has been great. And like I said, we just won a Rose Bowl. But I don't know what's next. I don't know what my ceiling is right now. I mean, should I be patient with James Franklin? And is he the guy that's going to get us to a national championship again? Let's let's start with the program first before we get to James Franklin. Okay, let's start with where Penn State is. Now, we've talked about this for a while. Penn State is probably going to be one of the biggest beneficiaries of the new look Big Ten. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, right now, they have to beat their head against the wall every single year against Michigan, against Ohio State. 
against some of the others in the Big Ten. But the Big Ten East in particular is a gauntlet. And that's been that way for a while now. Michigan State's had some great years. Maryland's a dangerous team. Just the Big Ten East in general is brutal. And Penn State, when they get rid of the visions, their schedule's immediately going to get more manageable. Immediately. And take it one step further. The one thing that has been in Penn State's way en route to a national championship berth or a Big Ten championship has been Ohio State. And Penn State's program, as of right this moment, is not where Ohio State's program is. Doesn't mean they can't get there. Doesn't mean they won't ultimately get there. But they're not in the same spot right now. Yes, as Penn State probably played Ohio State as well, if not better than anyone not named Michigan the last several years, five, six, seven years. Yeah, absolutely, that's true. But Penn State also has had some inconsistencies and has sometimes played to the level of the competition. But let's talk a little bit about what they have this year. You bring back two dynamic running backs. You have a quarterback that a lot of people around the program feel very confident in. You have some really good pieces returning on the defensive side, even though I think that Jair was probably maybe their best defensive player at the safety spot. But at the same time, I mean, it's a safety, right? You can figure it out. You lose a couple pieces up front. Okay, you can figure it out. You have a dynamic, dynamic group of athletic young players that are in your nucleus. So I am really optimistic about Penn State, not just this year, but next year as well. You could even make a case that actually 2024 might be the best year for Penn State to get over that hump. Let's look at this season first, though. West Virginia, that's a game you got to win. Okay, Delaware, that's a game you obviously have to win. You go to Illinois, that's going to be a really difficult game week three. And if you lose that game, it's not the end of the world, but it's going to be difficult to get back into a position where you can challenge in the Big Ten East, knowing that you go to Columbus a little bit later on, and you have to go to East Lansing as well, who I think has a chance to bounce back this year. And in the last game of the year, it will be a difficult game no matter what. You're going to be playing on senior day in East Lansing. It's never easy to go on the road on someone's senior day. So you got Michigan at your place. You go to Maryland. It's a place that's a little bit tricky to play from time to time as well. So I look at Penn State's schedule. And while I love their core, I love their young nucleus, I'm not necessarily convinced at this moment, right now, April, early April, that they are going to make a playoff run in 2023. I'm not convinced this year. But I am pretty convinced that they're going to be around for a while. And when the playoffs expand, Penn State's going to be in a great spot. Because right now, you welcome in SC and UCLA. Right now, where is Penn State in the pecking order? Okay, Ohio State's one. Michigan's one. Then there's a little bit of a gap. Is Penn State right behind SC at three, behind SC at two? Like if Michigan, Ohio State are the top two, which I think most people would unanimously agree with, then how how far down the list do you have to get till you get to Penn State? Not very far. They're in a pretty good spot. So I think for the foreseeable future, they're in really good shape. Now, with James Franklin, we know he can recruit. But I don't like the inconsistencies that the team has occasionally played with. And that is something that needs to get ironed out. It needs to get ironed out. I mean, sometimes they go out and they absolutely roll. Other times they go out and it's like they didn't practice all week. And that, that's, hey, that happens with a lot of teams. It is what it is. 
it's not like they're the only ones that have suffered from inconsistent performance. I mean, we've seen it across the board in college football for as long as I can remember, but you get absolutely drummed by Michigan, which by the way, you'd looked great on defense all season long and to give up how many yards rushing against Michigan that day. Those performances are almost difficult to quantify. Uh, you obviously lose to Ohio State. There's no shame in that at all. <laughs> you lose to Ohio State. You play well against Ohio State. No shame whatsoever. But the Michigan performance last year is one that is almost difficult to wrap your head around. But either way, last year, 11-2, and two, Rose Bowl champs, really, really good. Good thing to build on for sure. But I do think the schedule is more difficult this year, and it will be a challenge. No doubt about it. It will be a significant challenge for Penn State to replicate last year's results. I mean, James Franklin's had four 11-win seasons at Penn State. I feel like I want to trust him. I feel like I want to get over that. We might have to schedule another session to make me feel better. Just saying. He's also lost to Illinois in nine overtimes, a bad Illinois team. He's the last, I mean, what, two years ago? What, they finished seven and six? Uh, I mean, since the Trace McSorley era, there's just been a lot of inconsistency. 2020 was, a, was terrible. Uh, 2019 was a year when you know you kind of looked at at how things went it was a really really solid season really really solid season they won the cotton bowl of course things were really really good um but you lose at minnesota don't play well in that game like it just there's just been inconsistency you referenced the 11 win seasons there've been some great moments there's no denying some great moments have been had under james franklin at penn state there's also been moments that i would love to forget and that i think is something that that I'd like to see them play a little bit more consistently year to year as opposed to having years in which they just completely blow it up like they did in 21 or in 2020. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, moving on now. I'm a Florida Gator fan, okay? I was absolutely spoiled in the Steve Spurrier and Urban Meyer years. No, you don't say. And I expect championships to roll through Gainesville like thunderstorms in the summer. All right. But now we're just struggling and we've gotten lapped by Georgia. Tennessee's on the up and the up. And I'm not sure where we're going under Billy Napier. And it's not going to get any easier with Texas and Oklahoma coming in. Greg, make me believe that the Gators are going to be good again. Well, they're going to be good again. I mean, everything is cyclical. I'm not, I mean, I just don't think it's going to be this year. <laughs> with all due respect to the Florida Gators and with what they bring back, I mean, there's still question marks, man. You're still figuring out things on defense. You had a lot of issues on that side of the ball for the for a very long time. Billy Napier goes in, Dan Mullen, 
not necessarily a tenacious recruiter. And as a result, the roster and the depth on the roster is not right now at a championship caliber. You look at the schedule too this year, man, it's going to be really, really difficult. You go to Utah, playoff contender, in week number one. You got Tennessee in week three. You got at Kentucky there September 30th. That will be crazy. They're in Kroger Stadium. They're going to be all fired up. Vandy gave you fits last year, Beach last year in Nashville. They're going to be decent again. You should be able to handle them at home, one would hope. At South Carolina, that'll be a house of horrors. You're at LSU. At Missouri, November 18th, look at Florida's record when they go to Missouri. Since Missouri joined the league, it's not good. I'll just tell you, Florida fans, don't look at it because it's going to make you feel a little bit vulnerable there at the end of November. And then Florida State, right now, top 10 team in the country, going to be playing there in the swamp on the final week of the season. So, all that being said, the record last year was six and seven. Six and seven. And you have a quarterback that's likely going to be picked in the top 10 of the NFL draft. Now, he was inconsistent. Week one performance against Utah, if he played like that every single week, we're talking about a totally different conversation. But he was remarkably inconsistent. I mean, Anthony Richardson against Tennessee plays his tail off. Anthony Richardson against Kentucky looked terrible. So there's a lot of of inconsistencies that we saw last year from your quarterback. But ultimately, the defense also was porous, and you lost four of your final six games, uh, not including the bowl game, which I take for a slight grain of salt. Like To me, the bowl games, you can use them to your advantage. Use them when you want to. Ignore them when you want to. It doesn't really matter. But Florida showed up with two arms tied behind their back and tried to go in a fist fight against an Oregon State team that was hungry and anxious to prove that they belonged against, a, I guess, a traditional, powerful team. And Oregon State wiped the floor with them. It wasn't even remotely competitive. So I think Florida this year is in for a tough, tough season. But what I would say about Billy, and Billy Napier is going to build it. I believe that. I really believe that. I'm not lying to you. I believe that he can build it. But I also think, too, Florida fans need to acknowledge things are not always going to look the way they looked under Urban Meyer and Steve Spurrier. Florida fans were disgruntled even going to the SEC championship game because they didn't score enough points en route to the SEC championship game. So take all of that with a grain of salt. Your roster this year is not yet at a level in which I expect them to be competitive week in and week out in the SEC. I think six and six would be an achievement, to be completely honest with you. So understand where you're at. And this is the same conversation, I might add, is the same conversation I had with Tennessee fans a few years ago. Get to a bowl game, and then we'll assess it from there. Get to a bowl game, get your young players 15 additional practices to work and develop, and we'll go from there. But if you start thinking, hey, man, championship or bust this year, I think you're going to be in for a bit of a rude awakening. So let's aim for six wins. Hopefully you get those extra practices. You use those extra practices as a springboard for what could be a really solid 2024, assuming you get a bunch of young guys involved. That's what I would hope for Florida Gators. Use the Tennessee blueprint. Take a couple strides this year, set the foundation, and then leap forward in the years to come. So if I'm Florida, I'm not pressing the panic button just yet. I know it's going to be a slow build process because Billy's done that before at Louisiana and had great success in doing it. 
That is not what I want to hear as a Florida Gator fan, Greg. I don't want to hear six and six is what I'm aiming for. That's I don't know if I have the patience to wait for that. Steps. You can't just flip the switch and then all of a sudden expect to go into overdrive. Okay, that's happened before, but why did you run Dan Mullen out of town? Remind me. Why did you run Dan Mullen out of town? Because you didn't feel like he was doing an adequate enough job on the recruiting trail. Well, if you ran him out of time, town because he didn't do a good enough job on the recruiting trail, what kind of roster do you think Billy Napier inherited? One that was not going to be remotely competitive against top-tier competition. So he's got to bring in his guys and he wants to do it the right way. And he doesn't want to go out and get a million portal guys and come in and have, you know, this try to strike, you know, immediately and have this get rich quick philosophy. He wants to build it for the long term. And I think that's the right approach. Yes, can you bring in some guys in the portal? Yeah, and they can have a role and they can help you. But you don't want to sell out in an effort to accelerate your own development. Because sometimes you can reset expectations to where they come back to bite you the following year. See Michigan State from 2021, where they had a great year relying so heavily on transfer players. And then what they did in 2022, not playing very consistent, not being very good whatsoever. Miami, another example of a team that went all in on transfers and it bit them. So be careful what you wish for when you live exclusively in the portal. I think you have to balance it out, and that's the approach that Billy's using. I think that's the approach that will ultimately long-term have success for the Gators. Okay. Moving on, I'm now a North Carolina fan. All right? I've never won a national championship, but I was thrilled that our favorite son, Mac Brown, came home again. All right? we He's raised the expectations here. Drake May's phenomenal. I guess my question is, I don't know what realistic expectations are. Is it is it getting to the ACC championship game? We've done that. You know, we all we almost beat Clemson like in 2015 before Mac Brown came. Is it winning an ACC championship? Is is it getting to the college football playoff just in the 12 team? Greg, help me understand what I can expect as a North Carolina fan. Well, you know, they have one really reliable piece that's back right there at quarterback. I mean, you lean on Drake May. And this year, I'm, I'm not suggesting that it's a make or break by any stretch of the imagination. It's not. It's not even really close to a make or break. And yes, for North Carolina last year, after what was a promising 9-1 and start, the wheels came off and it looked really, really ugly down the stretch. You lose to Georgia Tech, which is an almost inexcusable loss, only scoring 17 points in the process. You lose, of course, in overtime to your bitter rival. That would be NC State. And then you get smoked by the Clemson Tigers in the ACC championship game. And then of course, come up short against Oregon. What was a, a very entertaining uh, holiday bowl. When you look at North Carolina, uh, I think North Carolina has a, has a chance this year. Now the ACC, as I've talked about already, I think it's a solid league. Now, am I going to go as far as to say it's as good as some of the aforementioned leagues, big 10 SEC, big 12, PAC 12, to be honest with you, I think it's number five out of five right now. And that's that's no disrespect to the ACC. It's actually a tip of the cap to the Big 12 and the Pac-12 who have really improved the last couple of years as far as quality and depth. That includes even the newcomers that are arriving in the Big 12 this year. But the ACC is about as gettable as it gets. Now, South Carolina, week one, gotta have that one. Because your non-conference slate as a North Carolina fan, is no joke. Okay, you have the Campbell Camels in there. That should be a comfortable win. 
But Appalachian State, South Carolina, and Minnesota, three teams that are all ready and willing to punch you in the face. And we learned all too well last year what North Carolina struggled with. They struggled with a physically imposing run game and a physically imposing team that wants to win and control the line of scrimmage. Look at the teams that beat them or the teams that came close to beating them, I might add. Appalachian State, team that prides themselves in their physicality. Remember, it took a pretty miraculous game there at the very beginning for North Carolina to escape Boone with a victory. They got beat up in the trenches by Georgia Tech, got outmuscled, got pushed around, and it didn't go well for them. They got beat up by a team that was more physical in the front seven defensively. That would be NC State. They got beat up badly, I might add, by Notre Dame. They got beat up badly by their defensive line, Clemson teed off against North Carolina. The jury is out right now on North Carolina. Can you win a bare knuckle brawl? That's the question. And the answer to me right now is a little bit fleeting. Now, change in your offensive coordinator, Phil Longo's now with Wisconsin. He leaves to go be a part of Luke Fickle's staff. You bring in Chip Lindsey, a guy that has been around at both UCF, has been around the Southeast for quite a while. He's a guy that's very well respected in calling plays and will handle the offense. And he's got great playmakers. He's got great skill. He's got a great quarterback. No one's denying that. But will they be more physical? Because if they're not, when they face off against teams that are wanting to get into a street fight, things are not going to go well for North Carolina. If they can control the pace, if they can spread you out horizontally, if they can spread you out vertically, you're in a great spot. But if you get into a team that wants to make it a dogfight, are you capable of handling it? And I can tell you this, South Carolina is going to try to make it a rock fight. Appalachia State, same exact way. Minnesota, we know what they're all about. Then you look at some of the other teams they're going to face. At Pitt, Pitt loses some pieces, but you know Pitt's going to be really, really tough and really, really physical. You know that. Those are your first four opponents, I might add. First four. Now, I don't think they're going to go 0-4 by any stretch of the imagination, but every single one of those first four games is losable if you don't play well. So, I think you have to get off to a really good start. You absolutely have to. And then the final two games of the year, maybe the toughest two games of the year on the schedule, you go to Clemson and you go to NC State. NC State, I think, has a chance to be quite a bit better uh, in some areas than they were a year ago. So either way, I think it's a really tough schedule for North Carolina. And I am cautiously pessimistic based on how they finished last year and whether or not they're going to be able to acknowledge some of their shortcomings and get those things alleviated in the spring, throughout the summer, and then ultimately into fall camp. I don't feel any better. I, you know, I mean, you just told me we're going to two toughest games I, at the end of the year. The first four games, we're not going four and zero. I'm just saying every single one of those games is losable, so you better bring your A game. I'm not saying you lose them all. I'm not saying you lose any of them. I just, I'm thinking you got to play well. I think it's a really tough schedule. It's one of the toughest out-of-conference schedules in the ACC. you got Minnesota, who's a perennial bowl team, Appalachian State, who's a perennial bowl team, and South Carolina, who played their best football in the final two games of the regular season last year. It's probably going to carry over this year from what they finished the season doing at a really high level. So I, I think you just have a really, really difficult schedule, and I think it's a lot tougher than it was a year ago. 
That's fair. Okay. This next one's going to be a tough one. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. I'm a Texas fan. I don't know where to begin, okay? Because every time we get somewhat good, the media hypes us back. Everybody brings up the we're back, and then we lay an egg on the biggest stage. I mean, one of our biggest wins in the last couple of years is almost beating Alabama, okay? Now, but now... We have a Manning on campus. That's just good. We're excited. We have Quinn Ewers there. It's good. We're excited. And we're entering the SEC. Like, McElroy, tell me as a Texas fan, what should I be happy about this year? And what can I expect in the SEC? Well, the SEC, don't worry about the SEC right now. Like that, Let's just don't worry about that. We'll address that a year from now when those things become a reality. But it's going to be a difficult transition, just like it is for everybody that's changing leagues. It's just different. It's it's just it might come in and play great. I mean, look, AM came in, had a really good couple of years as they first got into the league. Missouri similar. So some teams make the transition better than others. Missouri went to a couple of SEC championship games in their first few years in the SEC. So I think Texas can can compete right now. Like they showed it last year with their performance against Alabama. And you look at some of the weapons, man. There are weapons on this roster. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian, yes, they're without two explosive playmakers at running back. Bijan Robinson, you're not going to be able to replicate what he did for the Texas offense. But don't forget, man, Johnson, there is a secondary player at running back, was a dude, man. He was a problem. For a lot of folks, a little bit more of a slasher, a little bit more of a downhill guy, not as much wiggle, but he could make some plays as well. So being without those guys is of significance. However, you look at your wide receiver core, man, tell me a group in the Big 12 right now who you'd rather have at wide receiver. I mean, they got guys scattered across. I mean, Sanders is is great. Nair is going to be back at full strength, and they have such high hopes for him. Worthy's an all Pac twelve or all Big Twelve performer. I mean, you got guys across the board at wide receiver that you got to feel really good about. I think Texas this year, when you look at the roster, 
I mean, just look at the roster. Go one through 85 of their scholarship players. Tell me a roster in the Big 12 you would rather have. Tell me a roster. I'm talking one through 85. Now, if you're comparing them against Ohio State, sure, yeah, I'm taking Ohio State. Compare them against, you know, Georgia, yeah, I'm going to take Georgia. But in the Big 12, right now, across the board, in what is a very, very good league, tell me a roster you'd rather have. If you say someone, I'm going to disagree with you because I've studied the rosters. And to me, Texas has the best roster. Doesn't mean they're going to win the Big 12. Doesn't mean that things are going to line up for them and they're just going to get things done. But it does mean to me that on paper in the preseason, they should be the favorite. Now, I think Oklahoma will solidify some of their woes and will be better defensively this year by leaps and bounds. I actually think their offense will even improve as well because I'm hopeful that Dylan Gabriel will stay healthy all season long and they'll be able to kind of continue to get more comfort with Jeff Lebby with what they want to be offensively. But I think Texas Tech has a chance to take a big leap. I think Kansas State is legit. I've told you already, I think TCU comes back to earth just a little bit, but not to the point in which they're struggling to get to bowl eligible. I think like eight and four for TCU in that vicinity, but that would be understandable given some of the pieces that they lost off of last year's team. Let's go through the schedule. All right, Rice, win. At Alabama, probably going to be a tough game. Probably going to be a game that I'm going to pick Alabama in as of right now based on what I know. Even though you played them really well last year. You look at Wyoming, at Baylor. Baylor's going to be a really tough game. Kansas City, your place. Should feel good about it. Oklahoma, neutral site. Feel good about it, but will be a difficult game nonetheless. At Houston, really tough game. Right now, Houston's roster is in transition. I think Texas gets that one on the road. BYU will be tough. Kansas State will be tough. Those are both at home. At TCU, like I said, I think TCU comes back to earth just a little bit, but they've had Texas's number in recent years. I think that'll be a really tough game, maybe the toughest game on the schedule. Then you have Iowa State and Texas Tech to wrap things up in Ames, second to last week, and then you have Texas Tech, the Red Raiders, head to Austin. If it was in Lubbock, I'd feel a lot worse about it. Right there, I look at the schedule. And I'm not trying to have unrealistic expectations for Texas fans. I think you should be at worst 10 and 2. I mean, 9 and 3, like worst case scenario, maybe an injury or two here or there, just kind of derails something. Maybe the ball doesn't bounce your way in a game. I think 9 and 3 is the bare minimum. I mean, Texas has a chance this year to be last year's Florida State. That's the way I see it. Like Texas to me has a chance to be last year's Florida State. They're, I think they're going to get the quarterback position sorted out. Things are going to really look good. And a guy that had showed promise at one point is going to show promise throughout, whether it's Manning, whether it's Ewers, don't really care. Really good weapons at the perimeter. I think the, that's what Florida State had last year. I think the running game is still going to be pretty good. We'll figure out exactly what the pecking order is going to be at running back. Defense, I think, will get continually more comfortable as the season goes along. I think Texas is this year's Florida State. So are they going to win the league? Possibly in what should be a pretty deep league. But I think by season's end, people are going to start saying Texas is back. And they have a really, really good momentum heading into the transition into the SEC. So I think they're going to be in a really good spot. And uh, I think they'll probably be favored in all but maybe two, maybe three games. All right, Greg, I'm going to tell you two things as a Texas fan. One, 
I don't ever want to hear you say Texas is back until we've won a national championship. And two, that's not reference. You can't. Only one team wins a national championship every year. So and two, Texas would have beat Alabama last year if Quinn was healthy. Fair enough. I I, I mean, it's hard to disagree with that. I mean, I'm I'm not going to necessarily. You ever hear something back. like that before? Heard it a couple times. Yeah, I have. Not saying not saying it matters. Close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. So I'm not really that concerned about it. But I do think that Texas, seriously, I really believe this. I think Texas is really, really well positioned this year. And I I think that this is a team that has not handled expectations well, though. Every time we all get real fired up about Texas in the preseason, they have a they really have a tendency of kind of letting us down. So I'm I'm hopeful that doesn't happen this year, but uh, I think they're positioned, well positioned to be highly competitive this year. And uh, they would be my pick right now if I had to make it to win the Big 12. All right. And finally, Greg, I am a Washington fan. I remember when we were really good winning national championships or shares of them 30 years ago. We even made the college football playoff. I mean, we were right there. Found some hard times, but we're back. We got a great coach now. My question is, make me feel good about this. USC and UCLA are leaving for the Big Ten. Is this a good thing for us? Are we going to be like one of the top one, two dogs in the Pac-12 and make the playoff every year when it's a 12-team playoff? Or are we going to get left behind in this big, big conference, more money going to you, and we're just going to be playing catch-up, and and getting to the playoffs is going to be our ceiling? Well, first of all, I love Washington this year. I do. I think I've been on record. Everyone should should probably know that. I'll scream it from the rooftop. I'm a believer in the Huskies here in 2023. They bring back a bunch of guys off last year's roster. Nobody in the Pac-12 brings back more other than Cal, which to me is a non-factor, at least as of this moment. Uh, looking at what they have on the schedule. Boise should be a win. Tulsa should be a win. At Michigan State, right now, Washington, at this point, has more known commodities than Michigan State. Doesn't mean they can't play. just means that it'll be a tough road trip for sure, but one that they should probably be as a road favorite in based on how both teams performed last year and based on how that game went last year. You got Cal. You got Arizona. At Arizona, be a tricky game. I think Arizona's a dangerous team this year, plus a road trip to the desert. All of you Husky fans know all too well the desert has not been kind to the Huskies, whether it be Arizona or Arizona State. Road trips down there have been tricky over the last handful of years. Oregon is at your place. You should feel great about getting the Ducks in your backyard. It'll be a tough game, but maybe arguably the toughest game on the schedule, one of them, and you get them at your place. You got Arizona State at your place. Be careful of a letdown game there. Road trip to Stanford. I think Stanford is going to be really rough in this first year transition at SC. We know it's going to be tough. Might be a preview to the, the PAC 12 championship game. Of course, Utah will be a factor. I think Oregon state's got a chance to be a factor, but right now, if I had to pick the PAC 12 championship right now, I like Washington against SC. That's where I'm at. As of this moment, Utah at your place, should give you a little bit of a leg up. That's part of the reason why I describe it. You have Washington, which will be a really good home field advantage. You have Utah up there, and you have Oregon up there. All right, Two teams that you'll be vying against in the Pac-12 for that possible Pac-12 championship berth. They're both at your place. You go to Oregon State, very difficult game. Then you finish up the Apple Cup 
with the Cougars coming to your place. So I look at what they bring back offensively. You have continuity with staff. Ryan Grubbs back as your OC. He listened to overtures from several different places, including Alabama, who was very interested in him coming to Tuscaloosa to become the next OC prior to talks kind of breaking off there. But you look at what they bring back, the personnel that they bring back. Yes, you have to replace Wayne Talapapa. That will be difficult. No doubt about it. Really solid back that understood how he fit within the offense. But you look at their defensive line, it continues to be a very, very good group. Trice on the edge, I think is a chance to be an all Pac-12 and all-American contender. And you look at everything else in the Pac-12 right now. Tell me a quarterback outside of Caleb Williams. Tell me a quarterback in the Pac-12 you would rather have other than Michael Penix. Now, Utah fans will say Cam Rising, and I support them saying that. Completely support them making that declaration. Oregon fans will say they want Bo Nix. Completely support them making that declaration. But to me, the guy that had arguably the most impressive year last year outside of Caleb Williams and should have been on the short list for everyone when considering a Heisman Trophy candidate was Michael Penix. He's only going to get better. He's only going to get stronger. He's only going to have a better understanding of what they're trying to be offensively as he moves into year number two at Washington as the starter. This guy has played a ton of football. So is Cam Rising. So is Bo Nix. So is Caleb Williams. But Michael Penix, I think, with his arm strength, with his arm talent, his mobility, it'd be really tough to pick an all Pac-12 preseason quarterback list because all those guys are so dang good. But tell you what, if I'm picking one of those guys over Penix, it's going to be a difficult decision for me to make because that's how much faith I have in him. And what should be a very quarterback-driven league, I think Michael Penix and Washington have a real chance to not just solidify their place as the very best team in the Pac-12, but also, at worst, second, third, fourth best team in the Pac-12, which, to me, is you're probably looking at 10-2 and two season yet again. And I'm not sure that would surprise anybody with what they've done already in Kidlin Boer's short tenure. All right, great show today. Really enjoyed being able to go and dive into those five teams and be able to hit them from every angle. A lot of fans panicked, a lot of fans concerned, a lot of fans overly optimistic. Just got to keep things in perspective, keep things level. If you're playing for Nick Saban, I always noticed you don't want to ever be too high with the highs and too low with the lows. Like he is going to keep things consistent. If you go out and you play great, he's going to bring you back to earth. If you play awful, he's going to build you up. Well, that's what I'm trying to do with some of these fans. Some of these fan bases, man, those of you that are freaking out, like we're stink, we're never going to be good again. Yeah, you are. Just take your time. Or those are saying, we're going to the playoff. We're going to win the national championship. No, no, no. Hang on. Let's, let's reel it in. Let's reel in the expectations so we can have a better understanding of what we could be heading into the season. Look, it's no secret. We know what's coming up tomorrow. It's one of the great weekends in sports. The Masters tees off tomorrow. My favorite to win the Masters this week you're probably going to shake your head. I like Jordan Spieth, man. The guy has been really comfortable around Augusta National for a very long time. He's a Texas Longhorn. He's a Dallas-Fort Worth guy. And Augusta requires remarkable creativity. Jordan has that creativity. I think everyone's going to be all over Scotty Scheffler. Everyone's going to be all over John Rahm. Everyone's going to be all over Rory McIlroy. Understandably so. 
But I want to go with a guy that has dominated that course in the past and might very well dominate it again in the future. It does feel like all systems are firing for Jordan Spieth, so I'm going to go with the Longhorn Jordan Spieth. I think he gets to don yet another green jacket on Sunday. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. For Mark Kubiak, for Jack Foster, for Jake, I'm Greg. Hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.